0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. BGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And welcome back into the Bama on 3 show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing on this Thursday morning, the, the Christmas Eve Eve? Christmas Eve Eve. I'm, I'm very excited.
0: I hope, uh, I hope I get all the toys I asked for. And uh, now I'm, I'm uh, actually all I asked for is Alabama in the playoffs. And, and and here we are. It's just
1: literally a week away here. I can't believe that it's a week away, uh, just about a week away. And I also can't believe that right now there's, I wouldn't say there's certainty surrounding the game because of what's going on with COVID. And we're going to talk a lot about that. We're going to talk about, you know, Jameer Gibbs and him committing to Alabama. We're going to talk about what Alabama's doing to try to replace John Mechie. Got a, a pretty, show for you guys i've been out uh with a a cold that's completely speaking candidly kicked my ass but i'm feeling a lot better today jimmy's worked with me a lot this week um and i certainly appreciate that but don't worry it's not covid related got tested came back negative so all good there don't have to worry about you know as long as i'm able to travel they let all of us travel to the game i'll i'll still be there but Jimmy, a lot going on with COVID and a couple of Alabama assistant coaches who tested positive for COVID-19. You know, just talk a little bit about the new protocols and what the NCAA is, is putting in place and also talk about the two coaches that ended up getting COVID. Sure. Well, uh,
0: Bill O'Brien, the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator, as well as the offensive line coach, Doug Marone, both tested positive. Uh, one thing that's not surprising about those two is that they are literally like best friends and uh even their wives are best friends they're 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 a a tight group so uh, it wouldn't be too it's not too shocking that if you picked out two coaches uh that would it would get it it would be it could be those two but hey it's a real minor thing this doesn't have any real effect on alabama's preparation or or i mean there's no concern from inside the program on on what, what they're going to do without O'Brien and Marone for a couple of days. One thing, they had planned to break uh, for Christmas anyway. Um, I believe they probably only went through one practice without O'Brien and Marone on the practice field, and they're able to attend via Zoom, which is the same thing Coach Saban did when he tested positive uh, during the season a year ago. Uh, so it, it really had no, uh, no, no effect at all on Alabama's preparation. And of course uh, they have very mild symptoms. So they're, they're, they're 100% expected to travel with the team to Dallas. Uh, now that, that may have changed a lot of, a lot of COVID uh, rules changed as it related to the college football playoff. One being that uh, both Cincinnati and Alabama, were going to be required to be present on site uh, December 26th, which is Sunday. Uh, now, They do not have to be there until December 29th. Uh, It it will be interesting to see uh, what Alabama and Cincinnati decide to do about that. uh, Just a guess on my part is Alabama won't depart until the 29th, uh, uh, having more uh, confidence in their own and their ability to bubble in Tuscaloosa as opposed to doing that in Dallas. So that's one huge change. Another huge change is uh, what happens when, Alabama or Cincinnati or Georgia or Michigan, for that matter, has significant COVID numbers, uh, uh, significant numbers of players who test positive and and won't be able to travel or play in the game. Well, the playoff basically is saying too bad, so sad. Um, they're, They're not going to postpone a semifinal game. A semifinal game will not be postponed. If you don't have enough players, you just simply forfeit. If both teams forfeit, then both teams forfeit and they're out. And then the winner of the other semifinal game is declared the national champion. It, it, it's, it's, it's that simple. Uh, and, and it has nothing to do with anyone being mean or not taking COVID seriously. It just has to do literally with scheduling. It's impossible to move these type games based on uh, what's all been done with hotels and tickets and TV TV schedules. The NFL playoffs will be starting soon. Uh, those get the highest ratings of any TV event in the United States all year long. Uh, they, they just cannot move these games. The final might potentially be moved uh, as much as five days if both teams have COVID issues. They will reschedule the final from Monday to as far back as Friday, but they clearly don't want to do that. It would take an extraordinary set of circumstances for that to happen. So that's basically the rules. And uh, Alabama would just be wise
1: to get as bubbled up as they can. It's kind of becoming who's not the best team. It's who's the best team at avoiding getting some sort of massive outbreak that's going to prevent you from being able to play. And I don't know how much I like that. I understand in some ways why they're going with this uh, approach. It's like you said, with the scheduling and all that stuff, it's very difficult to coordinate. And, and switch things up at the last second. But I just feel like, I mean, Georgia's already going through some stuff. Um, and, of course, for Alabama fans, if it's Georgia or it's Cincinnati or it's Michigan, they're they're fine with it. They're all for it, actually. Uh, but, but you know, it, the second it starts happening to Alabama and they have trouble, the the views are going to change, you know, pretty drastically. And, and that's kind of – you know, I want these games to be played. I want to figure out who's the best team on the field. I don't want it – you know – if I'm Cincinnati and you're sitting there thinking, man, I'm not entirely sure if we're going to be able to not only get through Alabama, but if we do get through Georgia or Michigan, man, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm joking of course, but I mean, I, you know, putting some plants in some places and and getting some teams, you know, you know, giving some teams COVID uh, is a very effective method, apparently of helping you or guide you to, to not only get to the national championship, but win the national championship. And I don't think anybody can actually do that, but, that's, you know, if you wanted to, that could be something that you could attempt. And, and to me, that's just very strange how, you know, the, the world we live in last year, we didn't have vaccines. We didn't have a lot of the stuff that we have available today. And they were able to manage to get through, play the games without any sort of hiccup, including the national championship. Now, here we are a year later, and they can't get stuff figured out if, if you know, one of these teams comes down with it. Uh, it's just, you know, shut everything down. We're going to cancel the games. And I don't know how I feel about that. Um, I, well, I guess I'll tell you, I don't feel great. Um, but at this point, if you're Nick Saban and you're Alabama, you know, you're, you're very close to a, a second national title in the, in as many years. And it's all about locking yourself down, putting yourself in a position where you have the best chance to not just play uh, or, or be on the field, but actually participate and play in the game. You know, you as a player, your preparation as far as, you know, putting yourself in a position to be available is every bit as important as you preparing yourself to be able to perform once you get on the field. Then it's a very different dynamic than anything that we've seen in the past. So, I mean, I just very strange times we're living in, Jimmy. Well,
0: I mentioned it this morning in Crimson and Coffee uh, briefly, but it's a tremendous advantage for Alabama, actually. I mean, in a sense, Alabama's been there, done that. Alabama did this a year ago. They, they. They prepared for the playoffs in a COVID environment where they knew that if they had any positives, it would seriously affect our ability to win the game. So this is—I uh, wouldn't say it's old hat, but this is advantage Alabama. They, they do have some experience with this, whereas it's brand new for Michigan and Georgia and Cincinnati in terms of 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 bubbling yourself, bubbling up the team, uh, trying to keep them all. Uh, uh, safe. Uh, at the same time, preparing for the game. So, uh, this is just an advantage that Alabama has. Now, on the other hand, I guess you could argue that Alabama had such good luck a year ago with this issue. Maybe they're due for some bad luck. I, I certainly hope not. Uh, I, but I, I do think that it's fair. Uh, with 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 how Omicron is spreading, it is fair to almost expect both Alabama and Cincinnati to have some positives and and not have their full roster available. I I think it's fair to expect, almost expect that to happen. But again, I think Alabama's experience in handling this uh, is an advantage that they have over the other
1: three teams. Well, I think that you make a couple of interesting points. A I agree with you in some ways it gives them an advantage. Now I would say that they need to make sure they have the correct leadership last year. We knew they had that leadership and this year. We've seen some guys step up, gonna you know, take the bull by the horns, if you will, and become leaders of the team. And so you would think that that wouldn't be an issue, but I know that leadership at times throughout the season has been an issue. And so that, you know, some of those younger players that are, you know, maybe haven't been making the best decisions throughout the season, they need to make sure that they're locked in because all it takes is one player making a mistake, doing something he's not supposed to. And it's not just a matter of that's going to affect your performance on Saturdays. It's also that you can carry, you know, the, the virus to the locker room, and now you've got yourself an outbreak, and now you're not able to, to participate. So this is a, a being able to get every player on board and bought in and say, hey, we've got just over a week until, the, you know, the, the first round of the college football playoff, and then we got, you know, roughly, you know, nine or ten days before we play in the national championship. For the next, you know, two weeks, two and a half weeks, Let's just stay laser focused. Let's not do anything that we're not supposed to. Let's get this done, and let's win ourselves another national championship. And that's cer- certainly something that you hope, you know, ends up happening. But when you're talking about depth, I think that teams might have to deal with getting into their depth. And for a you know a program like Alabama, that's not as big of a deal, you know, as it is for a team like Cincinnati. You know, you, you let you know a starting corner or both their starting cornerbacks go down. Uh, with COVID and their depth guys their number twos and their number threes aren't nearly as good as those two players. You know, you let Desmond Ritter, uh, you know, co- contract a virus or, or Jerome Ford is their second string quarterback or their second string running back, you know, good enough to be able to come in and help win that football game. Now, granted, if you lose Bryce Young, you Alabama, that's certainly going to affect you as well. And very well could prevent you from not only, you know, winning the national championship, but maybe even be- beating Cincinnati. So I'm not saying that Alabama is going to be fine even if they lose some guys. It depends on who they lose. But I think they're much more better equipped to be able to handle taking some small hits at places. It's just these things can't mount. And that is the concern for all the teams that are preparing for the the college football playoff right now. And not just you know the college football playoff. You're talking about bowl games as well. You know, Texas A&M pulled out of the Gator Bowl right here at the last second. Wake Forest is out here looking for another opponent. We don't know what's going to happen with that. Uh, but it's very unfortunate. I was looking forward to watching, you know, see how Texas and m stacked up against Wake Forest, a team that was, you know, one of the best teams, the best team in the ACC this year. Um, and unfortunately, we're not going to be able to see that. But it, this is the world we live in. Uh, I think something's got to be done uh, to, to kind of make sure that this is not an issue in 2022 and beyond. Um, you know, what, what that is, I can't really tell you. But at some point, we've. we've I mean, this can't be what happens every single year. You know, we can't get to a point where in any given college football season, we're staring down the barrel of potentially determining a national champion like we did, you know, way back in the day, where there wasn't even a game played. It's just everybody came together and said, okay, this is our national champion. Um, You know, if you're Alabama and you're currently ranked number one, and you're coming off that big win against Georgia, you're probably feeling pretty good about your chances of if that did happen, Alabama would get named or, or crowned, you know, champions. And I'm sure Alabama fans would take that, but, you, know, you, you want to see the games be played, so I really hope they're able to work it out. Uh, the other thing that we're going to talk about, Jameer Gibbs, the running back for – I guess former running back now for Georgia Tech has transferred or is transferring to Alabama. He is now the second player out of the transfer portal, big-name player that Alabama has landed, joining Eli Ricks, the All-American corner from uh, LSU. Jimmy, we're living in a different world than we were before. As far as roster management, Alabama goes out there, they signed, you know, the number two class, a very, very good class. It doesn't quite stack up against Texas a and ms But the other avenue that you have is Nick Saban can go out there in the transfer portal and and land some pretty quality talent. And I think in, in the transfer portal, Alabama is going to be a lot more appealing than a lot of these other schools. You know, a Texas A&M, you know, even a Georgia, even a Clemson, an LSU. Why? Because if you're at the, probably at the point – you know, of Eli Ricks's career or Jameer, Jameer Gibbs career, you're looking for a national championship. You're looking for a place that's going to help you get to the NFL. Maybe, you know, Jameer Gibbs looks good at Georgia tech. He was a very effective player, but you know, he wasn't getting the national recognition that he felt like he deserved. What better place to go to than Alabama. So I think in the transfer portal, Alabama is going to have an advantage over pretty much every other team in college football unless a a guy is moving for playing time. You know, one of these – and to me, if you're an all-American caliber player like an Eli Ricks and things aren't working out at your current school because of, you know, coaching turnover and and you're not sure where that program is heading, I think for most of those types of players, the the, the top players in college football that are looking to transfer, Alabama is going to be on every single one of their short lists and in a lot of ways, if Alabama's got a need, where you can tell an Eli Ricks or a Jameer Gibbs, "Hey, if you come here, not only are you playing for Alabama, but you know we have a need. You're, you're going to get utilized. You're going to get used, um, and and more than likely even start." I think that gives Alabama a significant advantage, and it's just another avenue or another way that Nick Saban can build the roster.
0: Exactly. You know, if 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 what what this all amounts to is free agency, college football has free agency, then then Alabama has already proven that they're the Yankees or the Dodgers. I mean, uh, the, the, in the free agent world, uh, Alabama is, a, is a, a, a New York Yankee, uh, which I know is Saban's favorite team. So we'll, we'll, we'll run with that. Uh, that just means that Alabama is going to swing the biggest stick in, in the portal because of what all Alabama has to offer, which, frankly, is consistency. Consistency in all things since 2008 – Consistently in the national championship picture, consistently sending players uh, into the first round of the day having their players. Uh, you know, Nick Saban, just the the are getting with Nick Saban, and hey, it's it's it, no, no doubt Alabama wouldn't be where they are right now. This Alabama team without Jamison Williams and and Henry To'o To'o. They made a huge impactful difference, both of them, especially Jameson. And and Jameson ends the year a first team All American. Um, It's crazy to say this based on the impact from Jameson and Henry, but I think, Clint, that Ricks and Gibbs together uh, is even better, even better than the additions of Jamo and and Henry a year ago. I, I think Ricks and Gibbs could easily both be first team All-Americans at the end of next season, assuming, uh, good health. Uh, that's how impactful these guys are. I think Gibbs will literally be a Heisman candidate. If he gets enough touches, uh, at Alabama, I think he's that good. And of course, Ricks could, uh, Ricks could be a first team All-American. Uh, he, he, he would have been had he stayed at LSU, in my opinion. So huge, huge additions. It's very possible that Alabama is not done, uh, but I wish our fans would understand, though, much like the Yankees, it's not so much need. It's not that Alabama's going to look at their lineup and say, gosh, I wish we were a little better on the offensive line. Let's go into the portal and find a lineman. That's not what they're doing at all. They're just monitoring the portal and monitoring rumors and hearing things about kids wanting to leave. And if the kid is elite then they're going to be interested in the kid. It doesn't matter what position the guy plays. They're interested in elite talent. They're not interested in shoring up uh, different positions by, hey, let's just find what's in the portal. Oh, the best left tackle in the portal is this kid from UMass. No, they're not doing that. They're just like, hey, if there's an elite kid, if there's an All-American kid, if there's a chance to make our team more elite, then, then we're going to try and go get that kid.
1: Yeah, and he's an established talent. And I think that that's something that Alabama is lacking right now um, as far as next season. Don't get me wrong. I think Alabama fans love what they saw from Jason McClellan when he played this year. I think they really like what they saw from Widow Williams. You know, we know that Kamar Wheaton was a very talented player coming out of high school. You know, they've signed two of the top seven running backs in the country and Jamarian Miller and Emmanuel Henderson, even though we aren't entirely sure that Henderson is going to play running back especially now that Gibbs has been added to an already stacked group. But, you know, as of right now, I think that should probably be the assumption until, you know, something, you know, tells us otherwise. But, you know, you have all this talent. Plus, you have Trey Sanders, you know, the former, a former, you know, top running back in his class, five-star prospect. Um, You know, they were absolutely loaded. And yet they go out and they get, you know, Jamar Gibbs. And I think he's going to help as far as being a return man. I think that's really going to add, you know, you're talking about them being a Heisman candidate. If he is a a return man for Alabama, that'll just give him more opportunities to show how he can impact the football game, and I think that will make him a very favorable option to to voters. Um, so yeah, I completely agree that I think he's going to be, you know, up there in that conversation. It's a quarterback's award. The last running back to win it was you know Derek Henry in 2015. So I'm not saying that you know Gibbs is going to win the award, but I certainly agree with you that he's going to be up there and he's going to be in the conversation. And I think he's able to do that despite the fact that he'll get you know, somewhat of a limited workload. You know, yesterday I was asked by somebody, you know, what what do you think it's going to look like for him? I think he's probably going to be, you know, an impactful player in the return games. I also think that he's probably going to get anywhere from 12 to 15 touches a game. Uh, You know, I don't even think that he really gets the Brian Robinson treatment where he's getting, you know, 18 to 22. I think there are certain games where you might, you know, look at it that way. Maybe he's got the hot hand, he's doing some really good things, and you kind of ride him a little bit. But I think for the most part, you know, you're going to have enough talent in that backfield where you're not going to give him some huge portion of the carries, but I think he'll be very efficient. You know, you look back a, a few years ago, you know, when you had Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs and all those guys, that none of them got huge workloads, but they were all very efficient with their touches. You didn't have guys averaging four, you know, four and a half yards to carry. They were all sitting up there in the high five yards per carry, you know, low sixes, mid sixes in some cases. And I think that that's probably what you see next year. Is if the offensive line improves like we expect it to, and, you know, you're getting these running backs, you're keeping them fresh, you're using them in a variety of ways, I think that the balance that gets brought to the table, not only from Gibbs, but, you know, Jason McClone was a good runner. He was a good receiver out of the backfield. Roydale Williams, the same situation. Uh, Trey Sanders proved to be a good, pretty good receiver out of the backfield. And we know Jamar Gibbs. The, the, the comp that's been going around with him is Alvin Kamara. And I think that both of us agree with that. I think you brought up Josh Jacobs, and I like that too. Uh, I don't think he's quite as powerful of an interior runner as Josh Jacobs, but there it, there's enough similarities with the fact that he can run between the tackles, he can run off tackle, and he can be a receiver out of the backfield. And, you know, in pass protection, I think he's a very effective player as well, that you can make that comparison. And I think for Alabama fans, you know, they, they know Alvin Kamara. He was at Alabama you know, they, they see him now and what he is kind of as a finished product in the NFL, but they didn't see really what he was for Tennessee and that and he should have been utilized more. I think we both can agree with that, but um, you know, I, I very much see Gibbs being, you know, Alvin Kamara, if Alvin had been giving more touches in Knoxville. Uh, and, and so I really like that comparison. And I think that Gibbs, you know, you're losing Brian Robinson jr. Who had been in the program for several years. He had, Started seeing action early in his career. It was in a very limited role, but it slowly grew. And now it's kind of been the feature back this year. Um, but you're so you're losing him. There's not a single running back on the roster for next year, or there wasn't that was going to have more than 90, 95 career touches total. And Jameer Gibbs has close to 300 in his career. So not only was it important from a talent standpoint to bring him in, you're also looking at a situation where he's really helping as far as your experience is concerned. So I think that was another big key reason why the coaching staff really wanted to bring him in is that, you know, you're getting talent. You're, you know, you're getting production and you know, you're getting experience. So very important additions for Alabama. Yeah.
0: A good addition to the locker room too. Jameer a real smart kid. Uh, I think there's a lot of leadership skills with him that he's bringing to the table, very similar to, uh, to what Alabama got a year ago out of the portal and Henry Toho Toho, who is a really good player and made a really positive impact on defense. But what, where Toa Toa really helped the team was in the locker room and with leadership and with sort of being the quarterback at that front seven, I think Jameer Gibbs and Eli Ricks were both showing up, uh, leaders. I, I, I think they will be significant, uh, vocal guys in the locker room. Uh, Gibbs real smart guy. Um, a uh, lifetime buddy of, of will anderson i think the gibbs family and the anderson family are pretty close uh that's going to help him uh you know with his new teammates because will's you know one of the most popular guys on the team and rick's uh is, is used to playing in big programs not not just lsu but but rick's played at two different high schools modern day and img i mean he, he's he's he played it uh, he, he's always been on the big stage uh So I I think Ricks and and Gibbs will be good fits in the locker room. And that's important as far as, you know, Gibbs as a player, you know, I I think Josh Jacobs might be the best comp. you know, when you're just talking about saving backs and and who's he going to be like, I agree with you totally that Jacob's a little tougher kid in terms of, you know, real physical between the tackles and running over people. Uh, I don't think you'll see that from Gibbs very much, but they're, Sort of similarly sized and make a big impact catching the ball, and they can make people miss and hit home runs. Uh, Gibbs being a home run hitter is huge. It's really what Alabama's missed the last three seasons. Now, Brian Robinson's a really good player, and before that, Najee Harris was spectacular, but neither player was a home run hitter. They're, they're big, physical, move the chains type backs. But they're not guys that are going to house it from 60, 70 yards. Gibbs will. Gibbs can score anytime, anywhere on the field. He touches the ball. He can score. And that's going to be such a great addition uh, to, to, to Alabama's weapons. Takes a lot of pressure also off of, off of Bryce Young, knowing that hey, hey, w- there's a big play waiting to happen, just handing the ball to the guy in the backfield. So this will be a fun watch. I, I think one thing that might appeal to Gibbs is. Hey, you're going to be the starter, you're going to get your 15 touches, but we're also not, not going to overuse you. If you stayed at Georgia Tech, Clint Gibbs is probably getting so many touches. He'd be going to the NFL a little with a little uh, tread lost from the tire. I think Alabama can really uh, put him on a big platform but at the same time limit his his carries and touches to where when he does enter the NFL very likely after next season uh, he, he'll, he'll be more fresh and, and I'm sure he finds that appealing too.
1: That's actually an excellent point. And, and it's something that, you know, I looked at it from the experience factor with the touches for Alabama and why that would be appealing. I didn't really think about it from Gibbs perspective. And so that's a great point. Uh, 291 touches in two years. I mean, he would definitely have been, you know, well North of, of 400 career touches in college uh, should he, he have had stayed at Georgia tech and he, you know, could have been approaching you know 450 career touches. Um, so, yeah, that that is a, a very good point. And when you're talking about Gibbs and what he brings to the table, you're talking about like we said, impact return guy, going to be able to do. There, there's not going to be a situation where he's on the field and he's going to be able to. By him being on the field, it's telling to the defense. You know, with certain guys, you know there are things that he might do better than others, but he does everything well enough where you know that Alabama's going to trust him in pass protection keeping Bryce Young protected, you know, they're going to trust him catching the football out of the backfield. There can be off-tackle runs. There can be inside runs. So there's nothing that's going to be, you know, him being on the field is going to be too telling to a defense, and I think that's pretty important. But it's also, you know, after he catches the football out of the backfield, even though he was kind of a, you know, shorter guy but very powerful, very stocky, uh, you know, Josh Jacobs, when he caught the football and he was in the open field, his suddenness and his ability to make guys miss was always incredible to me. You know, it, it, he he ran in the open field like a guy who was 190 pounds, and yet he was, you know, 210, 215, 220, uh, and, and still is, and still is able to really be very shifty and elusive. Jameer Gibbs has that same kind of elusiveness in the open field, but it's much more electric, too. Um, it, there's a lot more – uh, you know, it's like not only will he make a guy miss, but he has the acceleration and explosion to be able to turn, you know, make a guy miss and then be able to still outrun a bunch of guys to the end zone. Very big home run threat, like you said, love the additions for Alabama. think he's going to absolutely thrive in the offense. And I think that that uh, Bryce Young is going to be thrilled to have him playing next to him or, or sharing a backfill with him. Not saying it's going to be for the, the whole time. There's going to be several running backs involved, in my opinion. But uh, whenever Gibbs is out there, I think Bryce is certainly going to enjoy it. Uh, The other big topic that we wanted to talk about today is John Mechie is injured. Nick Saban talked earlier this week, a couple of guys that he brought up as far as guys who are stepping up in his place uh, leading up to the first round of college football playoff. The first name that came out of his mouth, which I thought was a little bit surprising, but I don't think we should read too much into it. I just think that, you know, you know, Jaquari Brooks wasn't the first guy that he mentioned, but he's the guy that everybody is expecting to be the main one to step up and, and take over that spot. But he said Javon Baker first, which I think a lot of fans have kind of forgotten about him. But then he mentioned Trayshawn Hold and he 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 mentioned Ajay Hall, and then of course he also said Jaquari Brooks has been the guy who's been stepping up and playing more lately, and he continues to get better. So you know, four players mentioned by name. When you're looking at, you know, what John Mechie brings to the table, and we've talked about this a little bit before as far as the short to intermediate stuff, that's what you're looking to replace. A guy who's going to be able to be as effective underneath, you know, not maybe as effective as John Mechie, but be a threat enough to really open up things downfield for for Jamison Williams to be able to, to continue to be a big play threat. They got several good options here, Jimmy, that uh, I think that, you know, whether it be Hall or Baker or Holden or, or, or Brooks, they should. They have several players who are capable of being very effective guys in the short intermediate routes.
0: Well, what I don't want Alabama here. Here's what you can't do or shouldn't do, and that is make Jamison Williams. You know, double up his his burden. Not only not only maintain your role as the vertical threat, but now we also need you to be the possession guy too. We can't really do that with with Jamison. I, I think that would affect. Uh, his effectiveness down the field vertically. I, I think you keep Jamison in the same role. What you have to do is replace Mechie's role. Uh, and, and obviously Coach Saban mentioned a bunch of names. I, I think fans are all going to have their favorite name, whether that's Brooks, whether that's Holden, uh, whether that's a Jai Hall that a lot of people really uh, uh, talk about based on, on what he did at A-Day. Here, here's a less popular name, but I, I think what you're likely to see I don't think he's going to go from two or three catches a a game to eight or nine, a game in the playoffs, but, but really Slade Bolden has been pretty effective as that possession guy. He doesn't drop many balls. Uh, He he doesn't really gain a lot of separation, but, but he'll make a tough catch, you know, in traffic. And he's really experienced. I'm not saying that Bolden gets bumped up to the Mechie role, but I think that you're going to see Bolden catch more balls. I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised uh, if, especially against Cincinnati, he doesn't have maybe a a career day in terms of number of receptions. That would not surprise me. You still have to replace Mechie on the field. Alabama often lines up in that three receiver set. I think it's more often going to be Brooks or Holden. I think as, as the guys that we'll see more often, I'm just doubting that we're going to be really dependent on them catching balls. Saban just tends to rely on his veterans, the guys he trusts. And, uh, and to me, that's going to be Slade Bolden. I I, I know to to some people are, are, are like, gosh, Slade just hasn't made a lot of big plays in his career, even though he's out there all the time. Well, we don't really need him to make big plays. What we need him to do is convert, third and sevens into first downs. And, and, and I think that's something Slade's pretty good at.
1: Yet again, uh, that's, that's a solid point. It's not necessarily that he's going to play the same role as John Mechie. It's that he's going to step up and be the number two option behind Jamison Williams. And really, John Mechie was more of a 1B. He was a 1A, 1B kind of thing. Uh, I think that Jamison Williams is clearly going to become the number one, and I think you completely agree with that. It's just now you got to have that number two guy And, you know, Slade Bolden could very well be the number two in the pecking order as far as targets and, you know, reliability uh, in the offense. Because he was – I mean, we saw it against Georgia, you know, once uh, Mechie went down. There were several key moments. And really before that, too, he was having a pretty good game. But we did see him get utilized quite a bit against Georgia, and he was pretty effective. And I think that while he's not going to be flashy, like you said – it's not – that's not necessarily what you're looking for. You're looking for a guy who's going to be consistent, moving the chains. You're hitting him with some quick stuff. You're allowing him to get first downs. And then the defense has to really start accounting for the fact that that is working, which then makes them start to play up a little bit more. You can't be as worried about the deep ball when they're keeping everything in front of them and, they're, and Alabama's just nickel and diamond down the field. When that starts happening, that, that's what John Mechie does so well and why defenses have to respect that, and then you end up able to hit them over the top. Now, granted, there's a lot of times in football games going in, Jamison Williams is the spark, and really him being able to beat you vertically is what helps set up, you know, John Mechie on the short to intermediate stuff. But you can also use that in the reverse way as well, where you can say, okay, maybe early in this game, we're not going to be able to take as many deep shots or, or convert on as many deep shots as we normally do with Williams early because that's really what they're trying to stop. But then if Bolden can be effective, if some of these other guys can be effective and make them pay for not, you know, for, for, you know, playing their defense in a way that's preventing the vertical stuff, then it will open up the vertical stuff downfield so very good point. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I did think it was kind of interesting that Javon Baker is one of the first, it, it was the first name that came out of uh, Nick Saban's mouth. I don't know if that means anything. I do know that he, you know, had shown some flashes. People were very excited about him. He had created a lot of buzz in fall camp, uh, not this year, but last year. Kind of ended up falling off. He's been in a little bit of trouble this year and and hadn't dressed out for every game, but he's back in the good graces of the coaching staff. He's still a very effective player, and I think he can be a guy who can effectively win on the short to intermediate stuff. And so that is a name that really – you know, I was looking at it and I was saying Ja'Gory Brooks, I was saying, you know, Treshawn Holden, um, those type, those two players in particular. And then I thought, OK, another area where you can really utilize guys is the tight ends, because that's kind of where they win. Not only do they win in the red zone, Cameron too, I think Lil Billingsley was positioned to be a big part of the offense moving forward. And, you know, I still think that he's going to be. But we, uh, I kind of made Javon Baker my forgotten man, and, and maybe I need to rethink that. So don't be surprised if number five ends up having a pretty big game or ends up getting utilized more than people realized um, against Cincinnati. We'll kind of have to see. But, Jimmy, that's going to do it for today's episode. I made the, the terrible mistake of leaving my mic at home. I'm doing this off of AirPods. Don't know how the sound quality is turning out. I know, as always, you sound just fine on your end. But, uh, you know, I'm, trying, I'm going to try to get the mic thing fixed. I think we're going to record again tomorrow. We've got a couple more topics that we want to talk about, some of the guys that are enrolling early, you know, and Ty Simpson and what that means, how that's going to be able to give him a leg up. Uh, you know, Marcus Banks choosing his transfer destination. We'll, we'll touch on that. And then we'll continue to, to talk a little bit about uh, Cincinnati because we're now, you know, just under a week away from, from the game, you know, being played. So need to start really diving into them. We'll definitely do that next week, starting on Monday, but we'll do that a little bit tomorrow. And then we've got some mailbag questions that have been mounting for the last several days, and we'll we'll finally be able to get to those. Apologies for the the layoff, the week-long layoff, or however long it was. Uh, completely my fault. Uh hate getting sick. It's miserable. But glad to be back, and, and hopefully we can keep the gravy train rolling. So, Jimmy, as always, man, I really appreciate you.
0: Oh, no, enjoyed it. Can't wait to dive into it more and, yeah, really exciting, and and to me, it's fun to play. Well, uh, it, it's like it's obviously fun to play in the playoffs, but playing a Cincinnati team, we don't know very well. Obviously, that's not somebody we see a lot. We don't know they're starting twenty-two like we know the 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 SEC teams that we've been playing since since September. So uh, I'm just excited to kind of break down Cincinnati in upcoming shows, uh, so uh, so the listeners get to know uh
1: their guys and uh and who to look for in the matchup next friday absolutely i'm looking forward to it too uh once again jimmy appreciate you hopping on here with me and appreciate all the listeners for listening in tomorrow's christmas eve but i think we're going to try to make up a little ground and still record a podcast so be on the lookout for that and then we'll talk to you guys also next week this has been the bama on three show and i'm your host clint lamb